Good afternoon and welcome to the Power Up Show. You're with Mia and not with Paul today because he's deserted us and gone off to the UK where I hope he's freezing. <laughs> Although I think it's probably no, some of them. Yeah, and that voice, for those of you who listened last week, is the gorgeous Tiz. How are you, darling? I'm really good. I'm oh. very excited to be here. I'm so glad. It's so nice having you in the studio today, not having my stinky boy. <laughs> Is that what that smell was last <laughs> week? Ah, sorry, Paul, we do love you. Yeah, I'm do actually feeling really comfortable in your chair too. Yeah. I think I could get used to this. Yeah, well, Paul, you have to up your game because it's it's the show goes on as normal today, Paul. And, um, you know, Tiz has got some big feet to fill, but I think you're going to have it covered. What do you reckon? Uh, I'll do my best. No, I think it'll be fun. <laughs> I'll do him proud. Tiz, what is on the agenda for today? Well, um, apart from us having a bit of a giggle and some fun. Yeah, always. Well, that goes um, without saying, right? <laughs> we have someone pretty exciting to speak to, mm. don't we? Yeah, and specifically during school holidays, I think this person is going to add a lot of value to to the conversation and hopefully give us some tips on how not to throttle our kids over the next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I already got a few of those already before we started, um, even though my kids should be old enough to know. But anyway. Yeah, it's true. So... Yeah, so when we come back, we're going to um, introduce our beautiful guest, Dr. Rosina, and uh, we'll have a quick Q&A. Um, we've got some questions that Paul has so politely sent to us all the way from the UK. Thank you, Paul, for keeping us on our toes. And then we'll have our quiz and get started. Sound good? Sounds great. Beautiful. So you're with the Power Up Show with Mia and Paul, although Paul is not with us today, so I've got the lovely Tiz instead, and we'll be back after Belinda Carlisle. And you're back with the Power Up Show with Mia and Paul, uh, substituted by Tiz. I would, wouldn't use the word substitute. What word should we use when we introduce you, Tiz? Um, just Tiz. <laughs> just like Madonna. <laughs> and Madonna. <laughs> Featuring Madonna, the Power Up a Show. A one-name celebrity. <laughs> Beautiful. Now, before we went to the break, um, I know Paul was very kind to give us both work while he was away, and he sent you through a list of questions that he found through our social media pipes. So do you want to just start ticking off those questions for us, Tiz? Well, I guess one of them was I could have been on the back of my visit here last Mm -hmm. week. Um, Somebody came in and said, well, um, you talked about connecting with your community and s- certain ways to actually fulfil sponsorships and they were asking what would be the best amount of money to spend on a sponsorship when you don't have a lot of a budget. I actually, Tiz, on that point, I did meet up with a local soccer club because my son was considering joining soccer this year uh, and they had listened to the show and asked me that question too. I've actually written an article about that but my article was based on our discussions so maybe you can just clear that up for us on how sponsorship should be approached from a business perspective. Well, firstly, there isn't really a set amount on, on what you should be spending but one thing that I would like to make it make very clear to people, whether you're approached to invest $1,000 or $100,000 or somewhere in between or more, don't just look at that as the total amount that you would be spending. Always allocate an additional sum for marketing and promoting what you're doing. So for instance, if the sponsorship was maybe $2,000, I would look at budgeting around four to five to Mm -hmm. be able to actually market and leverage that sponsorship. 
as well. And one of the things uh, I indicated to the soccer club when I was talking to them was that additional, for example, $2,000 is along the lines of getting yourself some banners or, or flags or something just so that people begin to recognise the colours, recognise the brand and make sure you're out and about in the community providing the community with, as you said, the sausage sizzle. And the soccer club I was speaking to, they were actually blown away, especially when I said to them, your sponsorship agreement, while it suits you as a club, it actually is not beneficial for me as a business owner. So you need to be having those open conversations saying, what do you need from us? Because at the end of the day, we actually need your funds. We don't need you to tell us what to do with the funds. Just give us the funds, basically. Correct. (laughs) But what's it going to take to you? So they they were quite flabbergasted uh, when we had that discussion. And I I know that the chairman is going back to relook at his sponsorship agreements. And I think he's going to reopen up discussions with previous sponsors as well as uh, new businesses in the area. But can I also suggest that the sponsors don't necessarily know what they want either? Yes. So I think it's really key to to really have that discussion with some people that understand marketing or understand um, or look at your business plan and look at the strategy around your business plan, how that sponsorship can fit into that. And that will help you identify Mm. what it is that you you do want or need or that would be of benefit. I mean, on that point, Tiz, and I know I'm throwing you in the deep end here because I normally do it to Paul, so it's just have it, right? (laughs) Um, Is have you ever thought about running a workshop for local community groups, local sporting groups, and having that discussion with them? Because they're all struggling. I mean, the chairman, while a successful business owner in his own right, he was just blown away by some of the things and, you know, all credit to you. I took all the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Pretended it was You're me. Good at that. I know. <laughs> I know. You that's don't fine. become the overlord of the world, but. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I have actually, and I've been looking at um, opportunities to be able to do that in that capacity mm-hmm. uh, for people that want to understand how better to ask for sponsorship. But I see it just as important for companies, organisations in that small to medium sized range on how best to facilitate their sponsorship mm. as well. So mm. I'm actually been looking at it. From oh, beautiful. Sides. And opening those dialogues because it does seem to be that there's this gap in the market. Great. Thank you. What was the next question you had there? So the other, there was another question and that was around um, Sean. So he says he runs a business of about 50 people and what would be an average bonus for someone like him or some, in his sales team? Oh, Sean, that's an open-ended question. I like to say, you know, how long is a piece of string? But I would be looking at the current targets that the organisation has and get rid of your annual targets. They don't work. Um, Annualisation is not a proven tool that works. While we all think that it's a great idea, but salespeople, with all due respect, we are, and I say we because I'm a salesperson at heart, we are notoriously lazy. So if you give us a target and it's an annual target, guess what? The last six weeks of the year, we're going to be working our little behinds off to hit that. So I would change targets to a quarterly event. And then I would look at what that target is worth to me. So for example, I was talking to somebody yesterday and he indicated that one of his salespeople has a target of a million dollars a quarter uh, and he is of the opinion that this person could actually double that in a quarter because he doesn't believe they're very effective. So I said, if he doubled that, what would a $25,000 bonus look like to you? And he says, I will pay that with absolute pleasure. So I said to him, why don't you offer it? So Sean, my advice to you is re-look at those targets Look at what you want people to do for you and then decide what it's worth to you. So for for the company I spoke to yesterday, if they were able to double just the one salesperson's target, he indicated to me $25,000 is a walk in the park and he indicated that he would even double that. 
So it's, it's how, you know, what is that business worth to you? And incentivize, and it's not just incentivize the sales the sales team. That's the other thing I said to him is, who else is involved in that sales process? Get some accountability in within the organization. So if you're going to throw in 25000 and this is actually how we got to the $50,000 now that I'm thinking about it. If you're going to throw in $25,000, uh, make sure that the people within the chain get a piece of that action too. So all of a sudden you've got the person who's on the phone who is now looking for leads and wants to be involved and give them a piece of the action passing on those leads to the salesperson now there's that accountability tis did you phone why didn't you phone what do you mean nobody answered the phone now all of a sudden they're actively involved too and they've got an active interest and there's no more sitting on your laurels because there's other people who know that your work will account for them getting a bonus too but you want everybody in the team to be participating, which is really important. Correct. The other, the other thing I'd like to ask you, Mia, mm. what do you think about non-cash incentives? It's things like travel incentives or experiences. I, I like the idea of it, but I find that what happens is companies, and you'd probably be better suited to answer this than I would, but what I find sometimes is a company will give you a five-day experience or a five-day, let's just take a random one. Um, so a company that I worked with gave a three-day trip to Ayers Rock in the middle of summer. The people that were looking at winning this prize hated the heat, so the idea of going to Ayers Rock was something that did not appeal to them. And uh, ba- based on that, they weren't very incentivized to go there. They won the trip, but it turned out it was a trip for four people. Their family, they were a family of five. So there was these ad- additional costs that were involved okay. in there too. And then all of a sudden, it just became too much hard work. And the organization I was talking to, those people actually didn't take their holiday. And I think I speak in a correction, but I feel like he left or something happened, but it wasn't a very good experience. <laughs> well, can I just say that is completely the the worst and the, the wrong way to do it. Um, the organisation that organised it obviously really didn't care yeah, it's about not it. not something that I'm familiar it with. Was so it was not something that they actually put any thought about doing. You would never do anything like that because what you're trying to do is reward somebody, not make something more mm. difficult. And there are a number of organisations that do in- incentive programs. They run them across a six, sometimes quarterly, six or 12 month mm-hmm. period uh, the reward can vary whether it's a short trip or a long trip or it could even be a thousand dollar gift voucher mm-hmm. and it's based on um, systems where everybody can actually participate in gaining the reward not just the salespeople, but it needs to be done properly mm. i see how yeah. it would work don't get me wrong i've seen it in some organizations work really really well but in this one it just fell flat and and you're right it needs to incentivize you need to get the whole company involved not just one person Correct. but the whole company needs to to be involved and um yeah and then then everyone will benefit from that too okay so you are on power up show on 90.5 with mia and paul but today i'm paul and i'm tiz <laughs> And we'll be back and introduce you to our beautiful guest, Rosina. And you're back with the Power Up Show, and we have a fantastic guest with us, Dr. Rosina McAlpine. Uh, Tiz, do you want to introduce Rosina first? Because I've got a real bones pick with Rosina before oh, really? we even start. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> she talks the talk and she walks the walk, but I still have no idea what I'm doing. So we need to get to the bottom of this parenting stuff. Oh, God. So I'm, there's a lot of stuff here about. Dr. Rosina. So she describes herself as a lifelong learner, which is pretty awesome. Um, 
And if you have a look at her accolades here, she has four degrees. Holy dooly. <laughs> Bachelor of Commerce, Masters of Commerce honours, Masters of Higher Education and PhD, plus numerous other courses, life coaching, nutrition, positive psychology, and the list goes on and on and on. I know, I'm feeling a little bit... Um, Inadequate? Yep, is that's, that's a good word. I like that word. Let's go with that for now. <laughs> She's won a number of... Um, uh, teaching and research awards uh, nationally and internationally. I'm interested to hear about that. And um, international best paper awards for her research. So there's a lot of I know, there's work. a lot to her, but more importantly, yeah. she's the founder of Win Win Parenting. Correct, CEO and founder. And she's developed this program called Win Win pa- Parenting to support working parents to do better at home with their family and children so they can succeed at work. I know, when I hear Win Win Parenting... <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, no, that's not me. Uh, I've got more of a lose-lose, you suck parenting. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us can relate to that. Yeah. Welcome, Dr. Rosina. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. Thank you. What a what a great introduction. Thank you. Oh, we're excited to have you here. Now, I do have a bone to pick with you, but before I attack you <laughs> and start fighting with you, we like to have a little quiz just to make you feel comfortable. Awesome. Before she starts attacking before you. Before I start attacking you. <laughs> Now, uh, it's just a general knowledge quiz. Uh, we are currently 8 2 to our guests leading. Um, Tills, you're holding up the show for us, so please, you've got to do this. Bring it home for us today. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, your Let's buzzer see. is your name, so just not too loud, but yell out your name when you're ready. When you got, Yep, that's it, Rosina. <laughs> this is, <laughs> we'll get you live streaming. I've only got you. three letters in my name, Rosina. It's much quicker. It is. Look, we, we've had somebody here once before who almost climbed across the desk <laughs> to not pull out so she could win. Very competitive. Very competitive. Very competitive. So are we ready? Ready. All right. Where am I? I'm a structure in the Middle East. I'm a major tourist attraction. I'm at least four and a half thousand years old. I am located on sand near Cairo. I am near the pyramids. I don't. The Sphinx? S- yes. Correct. That's what you're supposed to say. Sorry, Rosina. Rosina, the Sphinx. <laughs> I actually went there. I've seen the Sphinx, so that's the only reason awesome. why. <laughs> All right. What am I? I'm an animal. I'm a sk- quick, skillful hunter. Humans despise me. I can be trapped for my fur. One type of me is hunted for sport. In England, I'm hunted by men on horses. Rosina? Yes. Fox? Yes, yay. (laughs) All right. I'm just trying to be Paul, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Paul, we love you, seriously, but Tiz is doing a great job mimicking you. (laughs) All right. This is going to be make or break. Rosina, if you get this right, you are the winner. Tiz, if you get this right, you're still in the running. Okay. All right. Who am I? I'm a fictional character from television. My parents were both widowed when they met. I live with mom, dad, five other kids, and a housekeeper. Uh, Rosina, Brady Bunch. No, who am I? But you're close. Uh-huh. I nominate who from the Brady Bunch? I nominated my dad for Father of the Year. A wayward football once destroyed my oh, nose. Tiz. Yes. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah, well, Marsha Brady. You were close. Well done. <laughs> All right, here we go. Rosina, if you get this answer right, you are the winner. Tis, if you get this right, we're on a tie. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is a hard donkey question, right? So this is the hard ones. Which country singer was called the man in black? Oh, oh. I don't really know country singers. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Tis, John, Johnny Cash? Yes. yes. Well done. Right, here we go. Make or break. 
The word bovine refers to what animal? Uh, Rosina, and I think it's cow. You would be correct. Well done, Rosina. Thank <laughs> you so much. That was just a high five. Just <laughs> well, that was nine too. Oh, heart rate's going now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we've got to clear off some ads quickly, Rosina, but when we come back, I would like to have a discussion with you about um, something that did not arrive, because I'm not sure if this arrived with you when your kids were born, but something that I did not get when my son was born. Um, and I am probably convinced he's broken and should be returned for a newer model. Now, before we went to the break, Rosina, I think I may have indicated to you that I got a bone to pick with you because you are on this topic of win-win parenting and are working with parents to create a calmer, more um, amenable environment for home and work life so that you don't have that overflow of this, the stresses and the pressure. And as you mentioned, Rosina is a lifelong learner with how many PhD or how many degrees did you say she had? Three? Well, four, but there's the word honours in there and masters and phds that's right that's right holy moly (laughs) i I need to just say to you um when my son was born beautiful beautiful little child but i think it's come with a factory fault because he he didn't come with a manual on what to do next the ears don't work they're like new i imagine um the attitude is dysfunctional i cannot turn the sound down i mean tis you've got two two young adults now but are these similar problems you had with yours yeah yeah i used to get those blank looks and the defiance and well i guess a lot of it is also all jokes aside understanding how to be a parent yeah and like you said, you don't get the manual. No, for there's that. no manual. So you just stare at this little creature, and there's this expectation that you know what's going to happen next. And all I remember was him screaming at me for four years. So, <laughs> so talk us through this notion that as a parent, we are supposed to know and be this perfect person the minute this kid comes out. I think that's the real problem, and a lot of parents feel your pain, and I felt your pain too. Uh, You know, our son is 11 now, and that was the beginning of win-win parenting. It started when I thought, I got this. As you said, I mean, I'd been teaching at university for 30, you know, 20 years at the time, and I, I ran large teams. I totally had this, and then this tiny baby came into my life and turned my world upside down. And that's what so many people say. You can go from, you know, competence to incompetence overnight with a tiny little person coming home. And there's this expectation that, you know, they say parenting is natural or... Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, do you agree? That's so natural. Do you, do you see what I mean? <laughs> you realise natural... the plague is a natural phenomenon too and look how destructive <laughs> that know, was. Do you know what I mean? Like, people say it's natural. You'll have that natural instinct as a parent. Well, there's nothing pretty instinctual when you've got a screaming baby that doesn't... You don't know what is wrong with them. You've fed them. You've changed their nappy. You've burped them. You've done everything you can and they're still screaming or you've got a you know toddler or a teenager that is in complete distress and you're like well what do I do now so we we were parenting a long time ago in in much larger communities than we have today oftentimes you know we could be single parenting we could be parenting without grandparents aunties uncles or friends or communities so basically there's this myth that we need to bust and I'm very happy to go through how I bust the myth with with um, parents who work with me but I think we have to bust this myth that there is this natural or there's just this ability to be able to parent just because you can have a child doesn't mean you can you know you have all the knowledge skills and understanding to raise a child 
So what are some of those myths that we need to bust? Because I see now in, in 2019, there are actually more, uh, I suppose, movies and, and TV series around, because I don't know if you're across any of this, about the fact that parenting is not easy, that beautiful Marsha Brady family <laughs> <laughs> doesn't seem to exist. And we're starting to see potentially a more realistic look at how parenting is publicized through TV now. I don't know if you've seen any of these shows. Maybe a little bit more dysfunctional than what I would be used to. Are you across any of these? Oh, shows? have you seen the Super Nanny just to start? You know, like that show. Oh, no, I don't need to. <laughs> when, when my, I watched one episode, my son was, did you ever watch the Super Nanny? Oh, Tis? goodness. I think I've seen a couple. Yeah, yeah. well, my son was home ill watch. one day and that was on the TV while I was holding him, trying to get him to calm down. And I was already feeling bad about, you know, my excellent parenting jobs that I was doing on that <laughs> day just to watch the Super and go, oh, I'm so ill-equipped yeah. to, to raise a child. But there seems to be a more realistic picture coming out today about what parenting is than when I was, you know, when I had my son 10 years ago where there was this expectation that you were going to be perfect. Yeah, Did so you? True. I mean, does your son, your kids are much older than ours, but was there that expectation when you, your there's, kids there's were There was always that expectation. Like I remember even, even just with breastfeeding. Yeah. Uh, I had issues breastfeeding my daughter, my firstborn, and I remember there was a lot of difficulty around it, a lot of pain around it, mm. but there was just this thing, this stigma that I had to breastfeed until, interestingly, six weeks later, my mother literally grabs me and shaking me saying, what are you doing? Will you feed this baby and give her some formula? And I looked at her and I said, what do you mean? And she said... All three of you, I have a brother and sister, she said, all three of you were raised on, on formula. I said, really? Like, I had no idea. And then I had another lady who thought that her child was going to be less intelligent if she didn't breastfeed. Oh, goodness. So, so these are these ill-informed things. Yeah, and it starts right from the beginning. And, and the expectation. Because the media is out there. I mean, mm. there's huge, big, you know, well, just, just on that note alone, there, there's lots of publicity around, mm. you know, where we're not going to get into that discussion. But what are some of the myths that, that you come across in your programs that parents are facing every day that you go, no, no, let's just be realistic here and get rid of these unrealistic expectations? Yeah. So the first, the first thing I do when, you know, we run, we run win-win parenting programs in the workplace because now we've got more and more working parents so add that to all of the other challenges mm. so there's less chance for one or more parents to actually be at home raising their children so they're out working trying to manage the juggle between work and family so the first thing I do in these workplace programs is start with busting the myth you should know how to be a good parent to get rid of that guilt because people are feeling so guilty that I'm not that good parent and, you know, if we look on social media, people try and portray this, oh, that everything's you wanna, going, you, you know, that everything is going Facebook. so yeah. well, right? But in actual fact, when you're at home, that might not be the case. So step number one, I ask the question, first of all, who here was born with parenting skills, right? And of course, sometimes in the in the workshops, I get someone with their hand up, you know, the smarty pants, you <laughs> yeah. know, and I'm like, well, great. I'm going to draw on you to help us all. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, hang on, I better put yeah. my hand down, right? <laughs> So none of us are born with parenting skills. Secondly, I asked the question, who here has a job um, at work that didn't require any training, any knowledge, any experience, um, any support? And like everyone's like, no, that's not the case. And then I'm like, okay, 
Who had a parent who was just perfect? You know, the perfect parents. You were raised by parents. Uh, Ewan, mm. you can be put your head up right now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And and so most some people, you know, some people will put their hands up and I'll go, that's awesome because obviously you had some great role modelling, mm-hmm. right? But when I ask the question, who learnt more about what not to do than <laughs> what to do, a lot more hands go and up. Mum and Dad, that's my hand is up for a different reason, not you know, because of what the That's a very interesting question. Yeah. Who learnt what well, not, not to, to do? do. Yeah. And a lot of people, because yeah. a lot of people go, I'm not going to be like my parents. I'm not going to do what they did, right? And But just knowing what not to do doesn't mean you know what to do, right? So if we sum all that up, first of all, Weren't born with the skills. Secondly, didn't get any training or education. Number third, number three, you know, could be working and having all sorts of stresses, the modern day stresses, right, of parenting mm. today with bullying and technology, all the things and other things we had. Maybe didn't have a great role model at home, you know, not through any fault of their own, but what, what course did they have? What support mm-hmm. did they have, right? So you add that up and you have to bust the myth and say, no way. You, If you're struggling, that makes perfect sense right now now because you're being thrown into a job that you have no qualifications for, no education about, and maybe no support. Let's say you're a single parent or you're, you know, parenting for the first time, as you said, I don't know how to breastfeed, never done it before. So why would I know how to do that? So that's why I say, let's start there, bust the myth that we should know how to be good parents. And would it also be that you're not alone? Because I think people think they're a bit isolated and you would admit that you're failing at this no, because people no. put, as you said, people portray the fact that they're absolutely perfect. And then, you know, you get, for example, with me, my son didn't sleep for the first four years mm. and I was just exhausted. Yeah. And when I was talking to people, nobody could relate to the fact that I hadn't slept for four years. So I had to put mm. the smile on my face and pretend that everything was just perfect and happy. Mm. And I only found out years later that there was another mother struggling. And because I had this smile on my face and I was portraying this perfect picture, she felt that extra pressure on her to do exactly mm. the same yeah. when all she wanted to do was break down and cry. And I'm saying to her, are you joking? All mm. I wanted to do was break down and cry because I was just so tired. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I think, parents are opening up much more now so the first thing to do is to accept that when people sit down together and talk about this openly everyone sees they're in the same boat and I recently met um, a lady who had a baby quite young and I'm partnering with her at the moment now and she was 16 and we were talking about it so I was 43 when I had our son and she was 16 and we were talking about it and she said you had the same problems I did. And I thought it was because I was a young mum. And I'm like, well, I thought it was because I was an older (laughs) mum, right? You know, but it's not. It doesn't matter whether you're 16 or 40. These challenges are the challenges we experience. And if we're open and honest about it, we'll actually find that everybody is experiencing similar and issues. And it's not going into those discussions and mother's groups going, oh, look, my son said his first word and he's only four months old. And, oh, look, mine's running up and down the stairs and he's only two weeks old. And, you know, we don't want to be going back to that whose child is better. We need to be having those, from what I understand, is more of those open conversations to say, how are you actually going with this parenting thing? Because it's not easy. It's difficult. How can I help? 
help you or how can you help me? Yeah, and one of the things that happened with me, for example, on the very first day that, that Cameron was born, he was four hours old, and the nurse came in and she said to me, okay, how are you going with breastfeeding? And I, and I said, oh, well, any advice you can give me would be great, like I, I could do with some help. And she said, okay, every four hours, you know, write it down every four hours because you need to get your baby into a routine and if you get your baby into a routine, they'll sleep and then, you know, <laughs> I'm me just... Someone forgot to tell Cameron I'm just, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, just Funny. saying, right? And then two seconds later, literally, and, I, and I'm not joking now, a lactation consultant came in and said, how are you going with the breastfeeding? And I thought, wow, am I in deja vu moment at the moment? And when I told her about the four hours, she flipped her lid. Those old outdated nurses with their four hourly feeding that's ridiculous. So you're getting conflicting information. So she mm, says no no feed on demand. So my baby's four hours old. I'm all hormonal. I just start weeping because now I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I've just got, you know, end of, you know, completely different advice. And mm. as the researcher, and I guess that's the only reason why I do share that bio is I am a researcher. That's what I do. That's what I love to learn. So I thought, hang on a sec, someone out there must know. There must be some research on this. So when I went out, I actually found out there was a journal of lactation. No. So we won't stay on this forever. But yeah. but the fact of the matter was we were told that no matter no matter what, whether you choose to breastfeed or not breastfeed, if you feed on demand, a child is likely to have an up to five point higher IQ than if you feed them in a routine. Oh, and I'm like, sorry, yeah, is that not, you know, <laughs> no, wait a moment. And isn't that information that would be great for parents to know? And so I started to share this. Now, some children will do beautifully on four hours. They'll do beautifully, but other children will not. And that's when the feed on demand would be important. Do you know what mm. I mean? Some children would do very well. So for me, I, I realised it had to be about the heart and the science of parenting. What's going to work in one particular family will not work in others. Some kids will love that routine. My kid absolutely did not want that mm. routine. He did not. He wanted that variability. So for me, when I started to share that with the ladies in our group, I'd say, oh, I read this article on this. And they're like, you can't keep this to yourself. You've got to, you've got to start sharing this. Rosina, when we come back, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take this conversation back into the workplace because that's where your passion is, is just creating that environment where parents know that they are not in a situation by themselves because what I'd like to talk about when I come back is, as I mentioned before, I didn't really sleep for the first four years. How productive do you think I was when I went to work in the morning when all I was trying to do was just get to the office without crashing my car and not burst into tears because I was so tired? So when I get when I get back, I'd like to just start having those discussions around how we start to work with parents in the workplace so that the work doesn't suffer, the productivity stays up and the motivation stays up in what is arguably going to be the hardest point of your life unless you have that perfect child <laughs> who <laughs> sleeps through from day one. So you're on Power Up Show on a live 90.5 with me and Paul, and Paul equals tis today. You're alive, 90.5. So, Dr. Rosina, I'm painting a picture for you of, and it makes my son sound terrible, but it's not. It was just that he had um, chronic tonsillitis and nobody actually wanted to take his tonsils out. So, as a result, he didn't basically eat for four years. The poor child was stopping for four years. Uh, and he finally had his tonsils out at five and... Then we had this beautiful sleeping child and it was just fantastic. But before that, 
we had a kid who was constantly waking up because he was hungry. And the result of that is that, you know, we were so tired. But we had to go to work in the morning. We had to be, you know, a productive part of society. And it's so difficult because you can't go to work and say, oh, you know, I just need 10 minutes to to have a time out because my kid didn't sleep last night. Business doesn't want to know that. Your boss doesn't want to know that. How do we start to manage the environment where being a parent starts to spill over into that work environment and I think Tiz on the flip side we probably want to cover the other side where you're in a high pressure job and both of us and, and Rosina yourself too are entrepreneurs and there are times where your business does seem to take precedence and we then want to cover the other side was where do we how do we manage that time so let's start with the first part where the home environment is a little bit tight because you've got this newborn child we've already established none of us know how to raise it because it's just been dropped on our lap how do we stop it from spilling over into work or how do we complement the work sure and and i think we don't even have to stop at uh newborn i think when you've got a toddler you've got a young child let's say your young child's being bullied at school you might have a teenager who's suffering a eating disorder or sleeping disorder like i don't think we can you know restrict this to young children this is for all parents who are working parents the thing is that more organisations are understanding that you bring your whole self to work, that this whole idea of, you know, being able to leave your home life at home and, you know, somehow compartmentalise it and then come into work and be this focused and productive human being. Organisations realise that. They realise that stress, whether it's financial, home stress, workplace stress, is now costing employers in productivity, in absenteeism and even in presenteeism, being there but not being focused and productive. So organisations now have many, many wellbeing programs, but the key is that part of these wellbeing programs needs to be to help parents with the thing that's at the heart of parenting or, you know, working parents, and that is their children. And so just being feeling more competent reducing that parenting guilt is going to make such a difference when you're going from home to work instead of going I'm a terrible parent I'm a terrible parent I, I I haven't you know taken time with my child my child's not sleeping I you know there's all these things that need to go on at home maybe I shouldn't be here maybe I should be at work so then you're not at work and you're not at home so you, you can't win so the big the big thing is empowering parents. So when you've got a child that's not sleeping, is there a way that you can talk to your employer and now nowadays understand, so what are we going to do about that? How can we support you? What measures can we put into place where you are getting more sleep? What can you do? And then problem solve with the employee as well. So my, my question in that situation is, how how do you how does someone approach that with an employer? Like it's not the sort of thing that you would normally exactly just go thing. and to your boss or your manager and go, "These are the issues I'm having. I need some help." Does the employer just do something about it, knowing that there could be a percentage of people that will need? I mean, something? look how you're struggling just phrasing the yeah, question. I don't understand. I, I feel the same way. You know, when I was going through that time when I wasn't sleeping. Even if I wanted to approach my employee, and to be honest, I don't know how approachable they would have been around that Correct. topic. Um, and you say things are changing, but to what extent are they changing is my question. But how, how would I say that? It's like, look, I haven't slept for four years. Would you mind just, I don't know, letting me sleep under my desk for an hour? How does that conversation even start? And I think that's the important thing. How does that conversation start? So as I said to you, whenever there's um, nowadays 
larger organisations more specifically have employee wellness groups and, you know, groups that they're employee network groups. So some of them are around parenting, wellness. So that is a perfect place to start. And a lot of times, if you've got an organisation that's bringing in parenting education, they're pretty open to talk about the fact that the reason why they're doing that or they're having an employee network group for parents, they realise that if they don't address these problems, it's actually going to cost them more. Because if I don't know that from you and you're not turning up or you are turning up and you're not productive, it doesn't help employers to keep that under wraps. Rosina, we've got to shoot off to the news quickly and I want to pick up this conversation after the news because while some organisations do have these employee groups and engagement groups, um, I just want to... How many do versus how many don't and what is the cost to... To employees, you know, for example, what would the cost have been for my organisation when I was not being as productive as I possibly should have been? So we'll be back after the break, um, after the news, and we'll pick this conversation up very shortly. And now on a and sponsor. Tis, before the break, you and I were struggling to articulate a question that you would raise to your boss at a small business because you and I are both small businesses and we could probably not afford to have an unengaged employer coming to work every day um, because it would affect what we are doing, right? And That's for you and I, yes, but then there would be situations where I would imagine that it would be difficult to approach your employer for fear of that whole being perceived as being not doing your job, being yeah. inadequate, having to choose. I know it was only probably about... 20 years ago or 15 years ago in my situation, I could not have gone and said, I'm having these issues to my employer because then it would, there would be that fear of losing your job. Yeah, basically. and I concede. I mean, Dr. Rosina, I understand and I concede that big business have got a lot of money and finance that they can throw behind these programs. And I get that and I accept that. And, and it does excite me to note that we are trying to build this new culture within the workplace where you want to be engaged, you want to be going to work. But unfortunately, small business owners, and that's many of our listeners, don't have the kind of finance around this to, to be able to invest in a program that, that will allow this engagement where employees can come to work feeling like they're not letting the family down because they've had to come to work. And it, it like to says, how do you, you say to someone, so for example, if uh, you know I have my business and I've got, say for example, nine people working for me and Tiz decided she was going to have another child and the, you know she had a difficult well, it doesn't even have to be. Tiz has got, let's say your kids are teenagers, for example, Tiz, and um, one of them is really acting out and we're constantly sitting in, in the school principal's office and now they went and played on their skateboard just outside because we got a nice brand new skateboard park here and broke their legs. So Tiz, now you're running around with broken legs and what have you and you're really struggling as a parent. Now, from my perspective, I'm not seeing that you're struggling as a parent, right? I'm just going, hang on, Tiz is not here again. Something's happened again. The work is not being done again. So we're coming from very different avenues. How does someone like Tiz, for example, in this environment or any environment, I'm sorry, Tiz, to put you in that position. Okay. But how would Tiz approach that conversation with me without that fear, as you said, of losing your job? And then what would my response be and my responsibility as a business owner be back to Tiz? So obviously every business is different, every person is different, but the key issues here are, first of all, have you got the courage to talk about it? 
first of all? Because a lot of people go, no, no, I can't say anything because if I do, there's a fear of losing my job, as you said. There's a fear of looking incompetent. I'm supposed to be able to manage all this, right? That's that's how we feel. And I know in the early days when I first became a parent, and even now as I struggle during various times, to say, oh, no, I can do this all on my own. So first of all, we've got to overcome our own fears to even be able to start that conversation. And secondly, depending on who the employer is, they have lived it. They have lived it themselves. This is not, I'm not, you know, we're not talking about stuff from Mars or Venus. We're talking about <laughs> lives on Earth, right? So if that person has had children, it is a more difficult conversation with someone who doesn't have children, who hasn't had a child fall over and taken them to hospital, who hasn't, you know, uh, actually experienced the parenting situation, who hasn't had all this. It is more difficult to have that conversation with them because you can't expect them to understand it. So there's a two-way conversation here. Number one, from the person who's the employee themselves, can they have that conversation? But as you said, they've also got to be sensitive to say, well, what have I tried at every level to be able to manage this myself as well before I even go to my employer, right? But if you don't have any help, so for example, let's go back to Tiz and, and she doesn't have any help. So she's, you know, because the, her, her husband's got to have his job. You can't have both of you running around in fear of losing one of you losing your job right so Tiz has taken on the whole load for herself in this example and that fear of trying to do something else and not being able to have any other assistance so at this point there is no other assistance there's nowhere else we can go now we now need to have that open conversation to say look I'm going to need help but with the boss, is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah, with the boss. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. I mean, from my side, and I know I'm playing devil's advocate here, but from my side, what is my responsibility to Tiz? To go, well, look, you know, if you can't do it, then you, we need to have a different conversation. Uh, how, how, how do we manage that as employers versus employees? And I think that's, again, it's down to the individual, isn't it? How much do you value the relationship? What do you want to do for going forward? Do you need a new employee or do you are you able to make accommodations? The big thing here is that open conversation. And I think a lot of people focus on problems and not on solutions. And that's one of the things that I talk about with parents too. If you're on the daily treadmill and you're going, I've got enough time, don't have enough time, don't have enough time, never going to find, I don't have any help, I can't even find a solution. If you keep doing that, you will never find a solution. If you've got that whole concept that, you know, my boss will never listen to me or help me, then you're not, again, not solution focused. I'll give one quick example. So I... um, school I had a, I had a friend at school another parent who was a single mum and I knew that she never had any time off because she was a single mum so that was her only time so what we did was we had an exchange this is just one example where it didn't cost her anything she didn't have extra money didn't cost me anything so every f- second Friday night her child would come and sleep at my house and stay overnight and I would look after the child from school. I'd do the school pickup and then till lunchtime the next day. So our kids could play together. There would be, and she had a night off. That's Mm. it, a whole night off. And then the following fortnight, she would take my son. So we'd have date night, my husband and I, right? So that cost us nothing but friendship, that's all. And we did that for years. And the kids are really, really close friends. Even though we've moved away, they've got this really lovely bond. So 
I'm, all I'm saying is that sometimes if we're not solution focused, we don't see opportunities in front of us because we're so busy complaining about or worried about mm. the problem. So let's, um, we're going to go to a break quickly, but when we come back, what I'd like to do is, Tiz, you and I are going to do a quick brainstorm and drop, you know, throw Dr. Reza to Dr. Rosina into the deep end here. We're going to come up with a couple of solutions that probably we may have already encountered with raising kids. Um, a conversation which we could have had with our employee and some of the suggestions you could come up with as an employee, but actually just as Dr. Rosina, come up with some suggestions for us in order for us to manage the situation better. And let's be honest, we know we're failing at parenting. I mean, I know. <laughs> I say to my son, I'm giving you so much ammunition that when you oh, do I'm go sure for therapy... Oh, I'm sure my kids think I'm failing as a parent yeah. as well. well <laughs> I just say to him, when you go for therapy, at least you're going to have so much ammunition that's going to be worth the money you spend, right? <laughs> so um, but it's it's the whole thing of seeing the trees for the forest, right? You just can't see it. But to, to maybe just get a few examples from you where we can then create a little bit more balance in our life and bring less stress home with us because we feel like we've been unproductive at work but more importantly bring less stress to work with us so we can focus on what we're doing does that sound good sounds great yes so you are on the power up show on a live 90.5 with mia and paul with paul equals tis today we love tis and as always rosina has picked the music for us and this is a trick hey, i'm going to be 500 when miles. i wake up We've done a bit of brainstorming to give you some examples of potentially times where either ourselves or people we know should have spoken up, but for fear of losing the job, decided to not speak up, decided to take on the responsibility by themselves and not ask for help. Because as we've already discussed, if we don't ask for help, we're not going to get it. So people just assume we're being the superhumans that we're not. Uh, So, for example, today... There is this pressure at schools. I don't know about Tiz when you were at school, if this was a pressure that you had, that parents should be involved in reading groups or they should be going to the Easter egg <laughs> parade. You know, they would have just had Easter egg hat. I'm Easter not hat. that old, Mia. I don't know about it. We I never had reading had... groups back home where I came from. So when I look at it now, I go, what is this? What do yeah, you mean? PNC, helping out, yeah. canteen. Canteen. Canteen, that's the other it. thing. Mum, yep. why can't you be at canteen? Well, I work. Uniform yeah, shop. But why can't you just help out once a month? Now, how do we broach that subject? First of all, how do we ask for that? Um, and what are some of the strategies you can give us so that if we do get resistance from the employee, what are the solutions that we can have tucked away already? Or as an employee, what are some of the solutions that we can offer? Yeah, so I think for a start, things are changing. There is no doubt about it. People are becoming much more aware now with two two parent working parents um, or single parents working that we've got now we don't have parents generally at home that's a more of a rarity today because financial obligations require parents working so I think there is this expectation that there will be the juggle and that there are now more and more part-time jobs and flexible working hours and things like that so I think we have come a long way even though as you said There won't be all employers that are understanding. There won't be all businesses that can even afford that, right? So it is about having those conversations and being understanding on both sides. But if, let's say, I'm just not coping and I'm not telling my employer, I'm not even letting them know, I just am turning up late or I'm not turning up, that looks much Mm. worse than me saying, my child's broken their leg and I'm going to the hospital or my child's very sick at the moment or 
at least explaining what the situation so what is. Was the, so, so let's go back to I want to be involved in reading groups or, or I want to do canteen. Let's go for the easy one. I want to do canteen, let's just say once a month my son would like me to be in canteen duty. How do I broach that conversation in your mind with the employer? How would that conversation happen? So again, every organisation is going to be different. I don't think there is one be-all and end-all yeah. here. And I think obviously coming up with... Um, if you know that your employer is not going to go for it, then what's the point of having mm-hmm. that conversation? If you actually know you've tried on it numerous occasions, the key then is working out what will work for you. Is it to take off a day once a month or half a day once a month and your leave or whatever it is that you're going to be able to do? So it's always looking solution focused. Now, I just want to give an example. When when I I started my business, uh, you know, win-win parenting to support parents because little by little, as you feel more confident at home, as you feel like you're doing a better job at home, you don't feel as guilty about missing one Easter hat parade Mm -hmm. or because you've got this great relationship and this strong bond with your child and you feel like a competent parent. So it's a very good conversation to say, you know what, today's a hard decision for me. I've got an important meeting with a client or I can come to the Easter hat parade. What can we do to work this out? Can you maybe give me the parade first thing in the morning or last thing in the afternoon? Can somebody video it for me? You know, a friend of ours video it so I never miss it. Do you see where those conversations can can come around mm-hmm. where you talk to your child because you feel confident as a parent. You don't feel like a bad parent. You're not going in feeling bad. And I, I remember when I started my business and there were times that I spent a lot of time, obviously, starting up a business um, and not as much as I did with my child. But one day, Cameron was quite young and he said, Daddy, Daddy, film me. And we're like, film you? What do you mean film you? And he goes, I'm making a salad and daddy, mummy does filming for parents to help them be better parents and I'm making a salad now. I want to do filming so that I can teach children how to eat healthily. And that, I have to tell you, even still brings a tear to my eye because what it showed me was that my choice in career had rubbed off on him to the point where he knew I was making a difference in people's lives and he wanted to make a difference. Mm. So it there can be great things that can come out of having your own business, going off to work, explaining what you're doing to your child, the difference you make in the world so that they understand it's not like I'm not wanting to be there. This is who I am and this is what I do in the world. And you can do that too and we can, you know, negotiate that. So what I'm, I'm getting from you is that when you're sitting in an environment where you need to have that change, where you need to, to bring around a change in the dynamic in the family in other words you want to go spend time at the Easter Hat Parade is is make sure that you have done as we've said before everything you have done in order to achieve that Easter Hat you know that time but not to feel guilty about it if you can't do it if, if it's just not going to be manageable if you're just not going to get there get someone to I don't know live stream it like we would do here mm. so you could still see it in real time what's happening things have changed you know technology absolutely I'm really good with that stuff um, but that's you being solution focused do you see what I mean and then you can say to your child I actually was watching you from work and I saw when your hat tilted because you know this mum was streaming it for me so I, this is the thing about being solution focused and not sticking to the problem so an Easter hack parade um is something that you can almost plan for because you know it's going to be the Friday before school holidays and you've probably got many notes about don't make your children's bonnets they've got to make their own bonnets <laughs> please don't stick raw eggs on your kid's hat because it does make a mess when they're tripping and it falls we've all had the lecture right 
let's go to another example um, and this is a real one that I had when my son broke his foot and it took them mm. two weeks doctors two weeks to diagnose it even though we mm. were at emergency ward you know, for three days uh, because he's got such a high pain threshold so when they said to him well what pain are you and you go well in the pain three you know it's a level three pain and they're going look a level three is like an itch and he goes oh well, in that case it's a four but it was a clean break on his foot but the result of that, and, and I'm sure I could have managed the process better, but I, I suppose being a parent, you sometimes don't, I don't know, the rational part of your brain could turn off. Did you tell trying. him to suck it up and just go? I did. <laughs> I made him, tears. I made him do... I ma- oh, I've heard that story so just, many times. Just, gonna, I've done the same. This is going to sound terrible, but I made him do a two and a half kilometre fun run, country fun run. I made him then go, because there was nothing wrong with him. I made him play basketball. and was in the middle of a basketball game when the kid turned green because of the pain and threw up all over the place and I went all right buddy we got a problem (laughs) but the result of that whole exercise was that I landed up going to the emergency room on countless occasions of going to get x-rays done a number of times of having to go see orthopedic surgeons on more than one occasion and it became almost like this culture over almost a month where I was and I had notified, you know, there is that notification, look, I'm going to be late, whatever it is, or I'm going to have to leave early. There was that where there was some notification happening. But it was just this period of almost a month where there was so much uncertainty as to what was going on. And I know from my side, I, the image could not have been of a productive person because there was this constant interruption. And I know from the employer's side that they could have felt that I was disengaging because I was so focused on what was happening with my son. So I do accept and acknowledge that both of us could possibly have been in the wrong, but how could I, as the parent, because it seems to me the conversation we're having here is as a parent, we need to take responsibility for how we want this work-life balance to happen. How could I have taken more responsibility for this? And I think, as you said, I think the key thing here is not to feel bad about it because Every parent wants to do the best for their children and one of the things we want them to do is to be resilient. So if they haven't yeah, really... Suck it up, I think you said tis. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you think that they haven't really hurt themselves and obviously if your child's saying it's a four, not a ten, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's not an unreasonable assumption, especially after you've been to emergency, you've had all the tests that can be possibly done. You know. So I think you know one of the things is that parenting guilt and always feeling like um, I, I'm going to ask both of you here in the studio and everyone who's listening every day when we wake up in the morning would you agree as a parent you do the best you can do you don't wake up is that true every morning you go I'm doing my best and now in your case you were trying to work you had a child who was sick you know you had other circumstances that I know about that were very difficult you know you had the same thing you had these flexible hours that you had to you know run here run there you were taxi here taxi there But if you put your hand over the heart, the first thing that every parent can say is, I'm doing my very best under the circumstances. Nobody gets up in the morning and goes, you know what, I think I'm going to give 10% today. (laughs) I couldn't couldn't care less. You know, I'm over it. I'm sorry. It could be interesting though. I should try that one day. So I think that parenting guilt comes from, you know, obviously we've got high expectations of ourselves, but I never ask anybody to do better than their personal best, right? And that's what win-win parenting is about. Accepting, number one, with the knowledge I have, with the understanding I have, with the circumstances I have. I have a child who's got a broken foot. I've got an employer who needs me at work. Under those circumstances, have I done the very best I could? And I imagine, Mia, you did. You absolutely did the best you could. Now, in hindsight, 
obviously some of us go, hang on a sec, maybe a little more information to my employer would have been helpful, mm. a little more understanding from my employer going, oh, yeah, I had that situation or I haven't had that situation. And more importantly, and this is where I keep coming back to the same thing, let's not focus on the problem, let's focus on the solution. So you might have said to your employer, look, I have to be sitting in emergency for three hours today, but don't worry, I've got Wi-Fi <laughs> and I'm actually answering emails, right? So this is not a good situation, but I am managing it like this. Or tonight when I put him to bed, I'm going to do an extra few hours because I understand we've got a relationship here. Or can I do this on my leave? What can I do? What can we do to make this work? Win-win. You're always looking for those win-win outcomes for the employer, for the child and for the parent. And it sounds like uh, as a parent we need to start taking responsibility too and stop having and I know there's many people that I've spoken to over the years who've had this victim mentality oh my employee just doesn't care and, mm. but it, it sounds like that before we can even think about adopting any program anywhere, anyway within an organisation as a parent we need to just take responsibility we need to stop being so hard on ourselves mm, definitely <laughs> you know our kids flog us all the time we don't need to be flogging ourselves either Um and then just trying to to put aside the guilt and manage the situation as best we can without that big guilt trip that we associate. And, and actually, Tiz, when we come back, let's just talk about that parental guilt that you and I share a very similar journey in terms of that guilt being, you know, working oh, yeah. and, and what we did to come Being a woman as well. Yeah. Being Catholic too. Were you, <laughs> were you Catholic? No, me. I still am Catholic. Thanks for asking. <laughs> when we come back, let's have that discussion about guilt and then how guilt does drop into the workplace again because mm. I would imagine with my circumstances and to a similar journey, we're probably both exhausted all the time. I think there's a reason to that we are on radio and not on TV because <laughs> what happens in the breaks are just uh, mind-blowing and after the discussion we had off air now... Come on, what stays... What goes on in the studio stays I in the know, studio. I know, but all the information that Dr. Rosina has imparted on us mm. in these last three minutes, I'm all over the shop now because I don't know where to start because everything you said to us, I just want to be able to wrap it up and send it off to our listeners and to all the mums out there. So, Tiz, I'm going to have to throw this to you because I don't know where to start with what mm. just happened. Well, we did talk a little bit about where to sort of get some help if, if it's not easily accessible. But before we go there... We did have a little bit of a discussion about guilt mm. and the guilt that parents, not just mothers, fathers as well, mm. um, feel raising their children, working, not working, should I be doing this, am I doing it right? I tend to find that um, there's so many of us that are in exactly the same boat. Yeah, and we feel like we're alone yeah. and we carry all this and guilt. And the guiltier we are, the more we get ourselves involved in things to ease, that's what I did, to ease my guilt about But then working. it makes it worse. Yeah, it does make it worse because now you're spending more time away from home to mm. ease the guilt of not being with your kid. <laughs> Absolutely. It so is. And I think guilt is one of those things that is actually not very helpful because I... For example, let's just say guilty parent A, right? So guilty parent A is going, oh, terrible parent, I'm rubbish. Um, my poor kid, I wish my kid was born to some other family because obviously picked the wrong parent, shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been me. Um, my brother oh. used to say that he wished he was born into another family. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's this never-ending cycle of self, you know, criticism, downward spiral of depression, really. You can put yourself into anxiety and depression by just being so hard on yourself. And then there's this other parent that goes, you know what? 
all right, I'm not the perfect parent. I'm not maybe getting it right all the time. But what's one thing that I can do that will make things better at home? Just one thing. Is it, for example, a lot of parents think that they have to spend a lot of time with their kids. And the research shows it's not actually about the quantity of time. It is the quality of time. And one of the things we teach in Win Win is to find five or 10 or 15 minutes where you've got that quality one-on-one time, whether it's over dinner, just before bed, in the car on the way when they're trapped, Mm. you know, to have that conversation where you feel like you're making that connection. You're checking in on your child. You're hearing what's happening for them so they feel like they're really heard. So you go, okay, that's that one thing I'm going to do, whether it's five or 10 or 15 minutes. I'm just going to make that effort because imagine what that means over a lifetime. If you did that five or 10 or 15 Mm. minutes all the time with your child, they're going to think back and go, you know what? My mum, my dad always made that time to listen to me. They, that's the memory they're going to have. have a, which is a terrible thing to say while we're on radio, but we have a no radio policy in the car because, as you said, he's trapped. There is absolutely nowhere he can go. So once I lock those doors, he's all mine. And we just say no radio. It's just talking. And he doesn't like silence, so I get quite a bit of information out of him in the quick drive to wherever we're going. So going back to that too, I think a lot of us have that little voice in our heads that keep telling us we're bad parents, we're not doing it right, or that that negative voice. Mm. Sometimes I hear that, for instance, from somebody that I know, that negative voice, and it kind of catches me out because I get that voice. We've all had it before, I'm Absolutely, sure. Absolutely, we all do. But I all then I, I realise and I go, so if, say you were talking negatively to me Mm -hmm. uh, about you, yourself, Mm -hmm. I'd be saying to you, what would you say to me if Mm. you were talking to me right now and I was telling you how bad a parent I was Mm. or how I'm not getting it right or I'm not doing this right, what would you say to me? And you would tell me how wrong I was, right, and how I'm not that bad parent. So I go, well, why wouldn't you think the same of yourself? It's so true. And we're much harder on ourselves than we are on anyone else. But the the point is, and this is the thing I want to make, which is why I said if we start from a level playing field of I'm doing my personal best instead of I'm a terrible parent, Mm. I'm doing my personal best, hand over heart, couldn't do better. If I could, I would. If I could do better, I would do better, right? And then just simply say, and this is where that work-life integration comes if you actually stop for a moment, I think we're all on the treadmill, right? And we're just, we're not happy with work. We're not happy with family. We're not happy with our parenting. But we don't stop. We're like, you know that, you know, not changing anything and expecting mm. a different outcome. And that's why just stopping, stopping for a moment and saying, okay, what is one thing I could do? Whether it's self-care, taking care of myself, whether it's, you know, having getting up 15 minutes earlier and just having that quiet time for a walk in the backyard or... Or sit down and calm myself or that cup of tea in a magazine or phone a friend or whatever it is that you can do just for yourself or with your child or for your work what is that one thing that you could do that would make things better all of a sudden you're going from I'm rubbish to I'm a, I'm a problem solver I'm a solution focused and then of course that can lead to other things so I think the best place to start is to stop <laughs> Start by stopping, (laughs) reflect and do something small. Make that really manageable and small to make that one difference at home, one difference with yourself and one difference at work. And I also think if you were to stop listening to all the judgment voices Mm. out there, Mm. 
Because the reality is you can be really honest with yourself and, like you said, you know if you're doing the best that you can do. Yeah. And you know what's right for you and what's right for your family. Yeah. So stop listening to all the people it's, that are it's judging you. what you say to us. Or the media that's judging yeah. you or the stories, the TV or whatever it is, just let go of the judgment. I say to, to friends of mine who are pregnant or, or pregnant women that I talk to and they say, yeah, what advice do you have? And I say to them, I'm guessing you have had tons of advice and they mm. go yeah and i'm guessing you have been told tons of things and they say yes i said well here's my piece of advice to you so you can add it do what you want with it ignore everything that people have told you because nothing is going to work be prepared to pre- be prepared for the uninspected unexpected because that's what's coming your way understand that you're going to stuff it up but guess what you're not alone and ask for help and that's what I say to pre- pregnant mothers now when they ask me for my advice. Is I've got no advice to give you other than <laughs> you have no idea what's coming your way. Mm. And it's interesting because some of the feedback I get from them is it's not as hard as I thought it was. And I go, of course, it's not as hard as what you thought it was because we actually gave you a realistic opinion of what was going to happen. Whereas in the good old days, oh, having a baby, it's so easy. It's so great. <laughs> and as you said, Rosina, you got a whole village that's helping you raise this child versus today where you don't. You don't have that environment. It's you and your partner if you're lucky enough to have a partner. Otherwise, you're doing it by yourself. So yeah. that guilt, of course, that guilt comes into play. Of course, that being hard on yourself yeah. comes into play. Of course, that feeling of inadequacy comes into play. And guess what happens? It starts to move on to our children. And Tiz, we're going to go to a break quickly and clear some ads out the way. But you mentioned before that some of the things that, and it's not just you, it's many of us, we look at our children and they'll do something and we'll go, hang on, that's not what I taught you. That's not what we believe in. That's not how life works. Where did this nonsense come from? And and Dr. Rosina, I think, well, actually, I don't know about you, Tiz, but some of the information that Dr. Rosina gave us, I had no idea. Mm. I would have come completely unstuck and just assumed I was the worst parent in the world. Like like the fact that the, the brain doesn't actually yeah. function for a boy, did you say? Yeah, so? well, let's go to, let's just clear some ads and come oh, back to no. that. No, no, we're going to talk about that because <laughs> it's interesting because here you are, you're actually showing us the guilt. That's not how I raised my child. And then Dr. Rosina says, well, that's because X, Y, and Z. And you're going, hang on, I'm not such a bad parent. No. It's actually not me. <laughs> Before we went to the break, we had this discussion that we do have guilt associated with being parents and sometimes our kids do things and we take a step back and we go, hang on, that's not what I taught you to do. And we feel like we've let them down or we've, what's the word, we've stuffed it as parents. But a couple of breaks ago, Dr. Rosina was saying to us, well, actually, you can't expect you know, a 20-plus-year-old boy to know what you're talking about when that part of their brain is only being developed in their late 20s, early 30s. And I think you had a bit of a realisation going, hang on, I'm not so bad. <laughs> well, I can't reali- take full responsibility for that. The realisation was, oh, my God, I've still got a, a, quite a number of years to go until he gets <laughs> Can you share those that information with yeah, us? Yeah, sure. So a, a lot of – obviously – a little bit of information about child development is helpful. And one of the things that helps us regulate our emotions, helps us plan for the future, helps us think about consequences of our mm. actions is is this front part of our brain. It's called the frontal lobe. It's our like executive function. And what we know is that children, females, so 
on average, so remember this is average and this is, you know, brain science, looking at the development of that frontal lobe, that capacity. Um, for girls, it usually finishes development in the early to mid-20s. So, and then for boys, in the mid to late 20s. So that's why... <laughs> that explains so it much. It does. It explains so much, which is why, you know, our teenagers, how they, they're so in the moment, they're so in experiences, they're doing all sorts of risky behaviours. It's because they're frontal lobe that that executive function that planning that thinking that outcomes is not fully developed and that's why we see behavior that we go hang on a sec I taught you that and if you got them in a moment when you sat down and said is it okay to drink and drive they'd sit down and go of course it's not but put them in a car with three or four teenagers and a case of beer and all of a sudden all of that goes straight out the door they're so you know in in the moment experiencing emotions and wanting to you know be in with their peers that that all goes out the door and that's why as we get older we get hopefully smarter <laughs> because our frontal lobe is developed we understand consequences and we're less likely to do these risky behaviors so it's no need to be so hard on ourselves when our kid does something stupid like that it's just understand that they're still developing yeah and it's not just about doing something stupid it's just even just understanding things like like there'll be times where i would they don't get some it. advice about something and apparently I don't know anything. I've never had any life experience. <laughs> but if somebody else has offered the exact same advice, all of a sudden it's like, wow, did you know that, Mum? Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. What, that thing that I told you three months yeah. ago or three years ago? And, no, I don't know if that's just a thing about kids not wanting to relate to their parents. It's just a normal, natural thing. And so, hearing it from someone else just... Yeah, I'd like to know that because, uh, I mean, mine's only 10 and I've come across a few of those. Yeah, of course. So what we know, if we look at all animals, not just <laughs> human beings. Yes, I know I'm still trying to tame mine. Yes, yeah, so if we look at all animals, um, the only the only animals that actually have their teenagers at home, adolescents at home, is us. By the time, you know, monkeys or, you know, other animals in the wild – by adolescence, they're breaking away from their parents. They're mating. They're, you know, leaving the family home. And and I know, I know. So, uh, so our young, our young, their instinct is to break away from the adult because they're supposed to be finding their own way. But unfortunately, their frontal lobe, as we said, hasn't quite developed. So they're not listening to you because naturally, instinctually, they're trying to find themselves. However, they don't feel threatened because another person telling them they're not trying to break away from that other person they're not naturally oh. doing that so what we need so, to do is set up like a brain trust amongst a group so, of people to go hey i'm going to tell my kid that the sky is blue <laughs> they're going to disagree with me the next time you see them just bring up the fact that the sky is blue is this what you're saying there is, is another approach but what what we know is that our children up until about the age of 11 and 12 they're more open to hearing things from us they're more open to looking up to us and you know listening to us but once they start getting into that adolescent period trying to break away this is when our conversations need to change uh, teenagers respond much better to questions and trust rather than telling so try and tell a teenager something and they'll rebel and they'll do the opposite so I'll give you a quick example um, there was a smoking campaign many years ago where they said to teenagers don't smoke you know don't smoke smoking's bad for you and of course when they measured before and after they found that that smoking campaign increased <laughs> the numbers of teenagers who smoked Money well spent. right yeah because telling a teenager what not to do 
do? What do we know? It's like red flag to a bull, right? So what we know now is that teenagers respond much better to having questions asked of them. So, for example, if you, instead of saying to your teenager, look, if you're got a friend who's driving and they drink don't get in the car you can go okay let's do some scenarios here what would happen what could you do what are some choices you could make if the designated driver now has had a beer what could you do instead of going what you need to do is this and so they can come up with some solutions hopefully sensible ones like call an uber call you get in the car with somebody else right wait there whatever it is wait you know and as soon as they've come up with those solutions you're doing two things number one you're showing trust in them and number two they're creating brain pathways for good solutions already that are there so that's the kind of conversations you can have start asking more questions having more conversations and more trust i don't have a teenager and i've got a couple of years off before i have one but i know that friends of mine who do have teenagers there's this constant screaming matches in the house Mm -hmm. and yelling because they know better and that's as i think Mm -hmm. you alluded to the fact that they know better and they know everything But if you were to turn the conversation around to where you're putting them back in that position of, and I say this very loosely, a position of authority, so they feel like they're more involved in the conversation, that Mm. they have more of an opinion, more of of a say in what's happening, would that then raise the, well, well, reduce the level of conflict in the house because they are breaking, that the appearance of breaking away is there, even though as a parent you're actually still controlling the situation? Absolutely, and that's the thing. We we want to, to role model the conversations that we want to have with them. If we're yelling at our teens, they're going to yell back at us. And that's why the win-win parenting approach is three steps, simple three steps, whether you've got a toddler or a teenager. And the first step is stop because most of the time we don't stop. We react and we don't respond. And so we stop. The next part is empathise. Of course you go, hey, of course you want to go to the party. I get it. Everyone wants to go to the party. When I, I want to go to the party. Oh, when I was a teenager, party. I want to go to the party too. But let's just do the last bit, which is so stop empathize and then the last part is educate and that's when you go okay here's my concerns i want to know what happens if so tell me what you're going to do i want to know who's going to be there can you just tell me a bit more information um if, if your teenager says i want to play Fortnite, and they're 11 or 12 you're 13 and you go okay first thing let's do some research how old are you meant to be what is it about do you see ask the question rather than say no so stop empathize with the child and then educate that's the c c a new way to parent and that really helps from toddler right through to teenager. So go through those three steps again. Stop. Mm-hmm. Respond instead of react, which I know is hard. We're not supposed to. I'm not saying we have to be perfect. But the key here is that you will get more respect from your child and you'll be able mm-hmm. to help them regulate their emotions if you're regulating them. Mm-hmm. The empathy or the empathize, which is the next step, is to get that connection because once your kids realise that you get it, like I remember when our son was tiny, he'd go, he'd get up in the morning and he'd go biscuit, and I'd be like, well, it's breakfast, and I'd go biscuit delicious, yeah, because yeah, biscuit delicious, you know, and I said, but biscuit is for morning tea. Now it's breakfast time, so that empathy, you know, mm. and you can talk to your teenager like that too, really, or probably yeah. <laughs> biscuit delicious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's interesting because what, what you've spoken about is we've spoken about coming from the beginning, becoming a parent, not knowing what to do, wanting to adopt a work-life balance and having open conversations.
conversations but being very much solution driven so what you're doing by the time you get to these teenage years where we need to do the, the win-win approach which you've spoken to which is that stop and respond and have that empathy for what the situation is is what you're actually doing is you're programming us I suppose that's a terrible way of putting it but you're programming us as parents is to be solution oriented which means we're throwing that solution orientation onto our children too so now they're becoming used to a culture of solutions so that when you sit with them as teenagers you're hopefully going to be approaching an environment where the conversation is more come up with the solution I'll throw those problems at you uh, come up with those solutions so the end result I'm imagining is that we're not going to have the conflict in the houses what I you know the pictures I've been painted about having a teenager which means that stress that I would normally have coming from home into the work environment is now going to be a lot less am I correct in saying that it is and the thing is when you feel more confident as a parent if you go hey I'm stopping I'm empathizing with my child and I'm teaching them all the life skills they need in the world rather than disciplining and punishing them which makes you feel terrible like no one wants to be a disciplinarian and a punishment giver this doesn't mean that you let them run wild it's the life skills so if they're being rude and disrespectful you go well what life skill do they need well, how can I teach them? And am I being a good role model of that communication? But also not not validating their bad behaviour either. Mm. So, for instance, n- not rewarding them if they're not behaving. I mean, th- there is a consequence. So, you know, if they're forever spending their money or they're just mm. throwing their money at, away at things and they ask you for more money, you don't just keep giving them money. Dr. Rosina, I'm sorry, I have to jump in here. I'd love to get you back in the July holidays because we didn't even (laughs) touch on screen time and we've got to get to the news now and we're done for the day. Um, But I do, we we need to get get you back in here. But you've actually painted a picture for me that's very different from what I imagine the win-win approach is. And it's opened up my eyes quite a lot. I don't know, Tiz, your kids are much older than than mine. Yeah, I'm just terrified. I've still got another five or six years (laughs) to go. You do. Um, Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Off the show, we're going to set up another date in the July school holiday so we can talk about screen time because that's something you and I have chatted very briefly about already. Tiz, you have been such a pleasure to have today. It's been so much fun. I know. And we got you next week again. And we got a very dear friend of yours, Alan Cherry, on the show next week. We're going to be talking about branding and how to brand your business, which I'm excited to have. I missed Paul a little. I missed him. He the seat 